If you'll open your Bible to page 924, is that what they're saying? Page 924. And we're going to be right there today. And we're in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter number 15. It's one of the most familiar chapters in the New Testament, Luke chapter 15. Actually, there are three very familiar stories in Luke chapter 15. You know them. You may not have remembered off the top of your head. It's in Luke 15, but that's where these stories are found. Jesus told these stories. The Bible calls them a parable. Parable, I remember as a little boy in Sunday school growing up, my Sunday school teacher taught me the best definition of a parable that I've ever heard. And I've listened to the seminary guy, theologians say, you know, this is the way to explain a parable and this is the way. Well, let me tell you, there's no better way than to say that a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's, that's just, you know, no need of making that very complex. Jesus was a master storyteller. He would take everyday life things and he would tell about those things. They were not literal. They were just examples. And then he would apply a lesson from that parable, that earthly story of the heavenly meaning. Now, in Luke chapter 15, you have these three parables. In fact, if you're looking in your Bible, you'll see the very first one is the lost coin, and the very second one is the lost sheep, and the third one is the lost son. We call that the parable of the prodigal son. That's where it gets the name prodigal. You don't see that in the text. The word prodigal is not a used word very often. In fact, it's not ever used except when you're talking about the prodigal son. It simply means wasted. It means primarily, most of the time, wasted as far as money. And that's exactly what that very son did. Now, we don't have time to read these parables. You know the parables. I may do a Bible study next Tuesday on the one about the prodigal son because there's just several things in that that as I was preparing what I'm going to do today, I thought, ooh, I'd like to talk about that, and then I'd like to talk about that, and then I thought, well, I can't talk about all that. The clock keeps moving on me. But the, the big picture is what I want to talk about today. The question is, why did Jesus tell these stories? Why did Jesus tell these parables? In other words, I mean, was Jesus just one day wanting to tell stories? Did he just want to tell parables or whatever? No, he told it because of a complaint from the Pharisees and the scribes. Look in verses 1 and 2. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, let me pause just a moment quickly and say, tax collectors in the day of Jesus, this is talking about a group of people. They were Jewish people, but they had kind of, betrayed their Jewish brothers and sisters, and they had gone to work, let's say it this way, for the Roman government, and they literally would buy franchises like they'd be an area. Maybe over in this particular part, we'd just have the town, we'll just call that a, 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 an area, a district. And so they would they'd buy these franchises to collect taxes for the Roman government, and what they did, they taxed their fellow Jewish family and friends, but they taxed them more than the Roman tax really was, and they pocketed the rest. And so that's why the tax collectors were looked down so in such an unbelievable way. So these tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. Now look in verse 2. Here's why Jesus told these three stories. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, 
This man receives sinners. Actually, that word welcomes. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they made an accusation. Boy, are we seeing that on our television. Have you ever seen anything like this? Uh, I must not get off on that, but... uh, well, haven't things flipped in America? You used to be innocent till you're proven guilty. Now you're guilty. You have to prove yourself innocent. I'm, I'm becoming paranoid. Uh, I'm just thinking every female employee of this church, just one of them could get mad at me and put me out of business. Yeah, it's a bad, sad day which we live. But, but we must, people, let me stop. We need to pray for our country. And I, I don't want to be gloom and doom today, but I am burnt. How low can we go? You know, each time I think we can't get worse than this, and the next day it's worse than that. And I saw a little ticker tape on TV a moment ago. Tomorrow we've got another lady coming out with another story. Uh, of course, I told Dottie last Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when all that started, I said, oh, this is not the end of this. They'll concoct them some more. But, you know, I don't, look, nobody, there's nobody with a brain that thinks that women should be abused. You know, I mean, that's not the issue, but... You know, what is the truth? Well, let me get back to my Bible study. My gracious, you know, I got off on something. Well, anyway, these old Pharisees, they're accusing Jesus, making these accusations that he's uh, having something to do with these sinners. Now, it's interesting. If you'll turn back in your Bible to page 924, you'll be in Luke chapter number 5. I want to show you something. Very, very interesting. Then we'll get along about our business here. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, if you'll look with me. See, Jesus had already explained to the Pharisees, you know, what his mission in life was on earth. In Luke chapter 5, page 924, look down to verse 27. After these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he's calling him to be a disciple. So he left all, rose up, and followed Jesus. Then Levi gave a gave Jesus a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, he answered, and he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not called... I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So now, you know, it's not like this had never happened before. And they were complaining, as we see in Luke chapter 5, we over now in Luke chapter 15, and and the whole deal. Now, this all came to life to me in a very unique way last Friday. I had an experience I'd never had in my life, probably never have that same experience in my life again. Have you ever just had somewhere that you wanted to go? It was on your bucket list, and for whatever reason, you just never had gone there. You've done that? Would you just nod your head? Yeah, we all have, you know. I mean, well, when I tell you my place, you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to be different. (laughs) Well, one of the places that I've always been fascinated with is Alcatraz. Like, I see I can tell right now you're very disappointed. Well, like I've watched that. I just love that movie. And then my grandson, Joel Jr., he, he just loves the movie Alcatraz. It, now, there it is. That coming up on the screen. There is Alcatraz. Now, Alcatraz is an island 
uh, in San Francisco, about uh, a mile and a quarter, maybe a, maybe a tad more, but just right off of the shore there, and and the uh, you, you just you can see it, and I remember 1964 or five, Dottie, we were there, but you couldn't visit Alcatraz then. The prison had been closed. You know, Alcatraz is just an island. It's about 22 acres in size. And it started out, actually, it was just being a lighthouse. And then the military decided they would use that kind of as a barracks. And then the military turned that into kind of a, a prison where they put people that uh, had, had deserted or people that had... Uh, raped people or people that uh, had murdered people and so our military used that for a while and and then ultimately uh, our our federal government turned that into a federal prison in 1934 and in 1934 all the way to 1963 uh, that was a federal prison and you know, it, it really averaged, I read about it again as I was reading some material there. It, like it would just, it would actually only house a little over 300 prisoners, but average-wise it had about 260, 270 prisoners. And every prisoner was not notorious. Now the notorious prisoners, some of them, but they were not in the majority at all. The other people that were put at Alcatraz were prisoners that had tried to escape, that had just, uh, you know, they couldn't seem to deal with them any other place. All men, no women there whatsoever, every guard a man. And so you have this place. And so we got, we got to go to that, and uh, you get on this boat and ride out to it. How many of you have ever been to Alcatraz? Oh, okay. Well, I have a sign-up sheet out here when you leave. I'm going to get me up a group. <laughs> I'm going to get me up a group about that. And by the way, when I'm talking about sign-up sheets, if you might, I'll tell you somewhere better to go in Alcatraz, go meet the Holy Land next September. And I have our brochures in. I'm going to have a sign-up meeting right here in this room Monday night, 630. I had a little meeting. If any of you have any interest in that, there's some brochures in the church office. And if you'd like to come to the meeting Monday night, I'll give a little orientation for those that have never been to one of those meetings. If you already know you're going, you can just sign up. But anyway, it'd be much better than going to Alcatraz. But you, it, it, we, you know, just to get to go in those cells and see that. In fact, show one of those cells. I, you know, I'm, would you show another picture? There, there I am with George Jr. And if you could blow that cell picture up, which they can't on that screen, but if you look right just straight dead center, you'll just see something against the wall that looks different. That's that hole where Frank Morris dug, and then these two other brothers down, they dug this big hole, you know, and escaped. And, of course, nobody ever knows what happened to them. The government says they drowned, uh, but nobody knows whatever happened to them. But it, it was very interesting, and they let you go back and see a bunch of that kind of stuff. But, but here's the deal. As, as I looked at that, and, and I thought, you know, Interesting, in 1963, uh, and I had forgotten who did it, but I was reminded, in 1963, Robert Kennedy was the Attorney General of the United States, and he ordered Alcatraz to be closed. And he, he ordered it to be closed. The government said, the reason we're going to close Alcatraz is because it's so expensive, the upkeep, of the facility, all the salt, all the water, the damage that it does, and, and just, uh, just what it costs to keep a prisoner there. And, and then, you know, they, they said it, it's, it's really just 
not a good use of government money, so we're going to close Alcatraz. You know, I listened to that even last Friday, and I thought, of course, the government guy was telling us that story, and I thought, well, I, you know, that's not right. The government never has worried about what anything's going to cost. <laughs> you know, I, I really think, I have no way of knowing, I think Robert Kennedy probably went there and saw that situation and said, this is not about rehabilitation at all. This is just about brute punishment. It, like we'd go in those cells and we went into solitary confinement where a person was locked in there for one week with no light in this little, just a little bitty cubbyhole. And they let him out once a week to take a shower. And then he's put right back in there. I thought, gracious me, just, a, just, a, but, but I, it's, I, the whole point is, is I cured that thing last Friday. I thought, like, nobody's life was ever changed here. Like, now the people had done what they did, and they deserved to, you know, be punished, as the law says. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But what I'm simply saying is that, you know, you, of all the people that went there, 1,500-something people, prisoners were housed at Alcatraz during the time it was there as a prison. But, but none of these people, there was nothing going on there to, to rehabilitate anybody. And then as I thought about that, I thought about, you know, great lesson here to learn. And it's one of the real convictions of my heart. Like, the, the, you know, if you paid attention to my title to them, my little message, like Jesus changes lives. And that's what Jimmy's saying about it. And in our day and time, uh, we have so many good things that try to help people that are, that are less fortunate than you would hope and we do we do a lot of good things and a lot of a lot of organizations out here do a lot of great things to do that but but the fact of the matter is just giving people that don't have food food which we should help people that have food have food I'm for that we 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 our record speaks of that and to give them clothing and these kind of things all this is a wonderful thing to do but, like, you'll just keep giving people food and keep giving people clothing. Nothing changes about their life. Now, where, where my heart is on this, and I'm sharing something just from my heart today with you, just, just simply ask you to pray about it. Later on, maybe you can, uh, as God opens doors, you can participate. One of the most life-changing things I've ever personally seen is the Dream Center out in Los Angeles. In fact, Monday morning, early, 19 of our people will go there all next week, and they will work along with those in the Dream Center. They'll be on Skid Row. They'll be, but the point is, all the people who actually live in Dream Center, these people are going through classes to change things in their life, and everything about Dream Center is about Jesus. And they don't accept any government money because they don't want any limitations. And like we're talking about, we're talking about hundreds of people that live in the facility, plus the people that come. And, and people's lives are really being changed. In fact, many of the people that now work at the Dream Center are people that were in the Dream Center. Now, my, my burden is we don't have anything at all like that in our area. Now, we have things. Uh, the nearest thing we would have to that would be the wheelhouse over here in Deer Park, which is, is it's, it's a good thing to do what it does. But 
the next step lacking in the wheelhouse is there's no emphasis of Jesus. And yet there's a great emphasis in what they do. And they have more people that want to go there every month than they can accept. The place. It's a good place, good facility. Uh, one of our members is on the board. We, we support that place uh, some financially. We're not as tied in there as we are other places. But our church is supportive uh, to some things they do in, in helping them. But I'm praying in my heart that God is, is going to make a way. And I'm not the only one praying this, and I, I, I'm sharing this with you first. I'll soon be sharing this. Uh, it just fit today, and I've, I've, I've mentioned kind of a little bit about the church, but, you know, I don't want our church to, like, the, you know, be the Dream Center headquarters, but I, we have the people and the resources that, and what, what you can pray about, we're trying to find the place to build this thing, and it'll start out small, and and right now there is a piece of land, and I'm not going into that yet, but the, the, the people that are trying to work on that are working out the details of trying to see if we might get that land, maybe that or maybe some other. But, but what a beautiful thing it would be to take people and do more than just give them food and clothes, help them there, but actually have them housed and have a, 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 an organized way to teach people how to let Jesus Christ change their lives. Now, you don't, I don't know, don't worry, I'm not fixed to take up an offer. Now, y'all have gotten real quiet on me here. But I have a real burden about that, you know. Uh, see, he's, he is the one that changes lives. And, and I'm just praying that God, you know, if this is what God wants, and our church can be a great uh, mover in that to get that thing off the ground and get that thing going, and and so I want you to just join me in prayer on that. And then, if if that if that begins to open up, then I'm going to say to you, uh, you know, here's some things you can do to help, and we'll just wait and see what God does. We need to remember though that, you know, this is what Jesus said to scribes and the Pharisees. He said, look. <laughs> The people that I've come, uh, are, are, they're not the well people. They're the sick people. They're the hurting people. They're people that need. And Jesus, all through the New Testament, he changed their lives. And what an exciting thing it is to me to see how God really can change a person's life. We all, all talk, we all believe Jesus saves. Listen to me, folks. He not only saves, he changes. Could I have an amen to that? And even when you're already a Christian, he just keeps on changing, keeps on changing, keeps on changing. And all of us have some more changing he needs to do. And I just thank the Lord for that. Father God, I love this little chapter. It's a blessed chapter. Jesus restoring that which was lost, restored the coin, restored the sheep, Restore to the Son. And God, you're the great restorer. And no, no, no one could say that First Baptist Church doesn't have a, a heart to help people. We give thousands of dollars upon thousands upon thousands to support ministries that are doing things if that's what they've been called to do. And we're trying to and have been very successful in working with these ministries to say, now let's add to that what we can so God gets involved in it because that's where the change really takes place. And so God is Christian people, and I know today this is just a group of, of believers, and it's just a cross-section of a lot, 
But God, we're all your people if we've trusted Jesus. And we have the ability and we have the passion and, and, and we just have everything we need, God, to help people know that the real life changer is Jesus Christ. And God, it's, it's not about being Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or any of that. It's just about what the power of God can do in a person's life. And so help us as we journey along to see what you have for us. Now, God, thank you for this good day. Thank you for each one here. Uh, God, I just pray a special blessing today on each person at Tuesday Bible Watch. And I thank you for the blessing that's mine every Tuesday. This is one of my very favorite things to do. I don't have to push things. I don't have to do it. I just can fellowship with other believers, share what's on my heart from the Word. And so, God, we thank you for the vision you gave Barry Landrum years and years ago on Tuesday Bible Lunch. And thank you for the blessing this has been, and I pray will continue always to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.